Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com. And we're here with a training camp episode. That's right. Training camp is in full effect. I'm taping this early on Thursday morning. So this is day eight right now of Giants training camp. Got some really good feedback on that last episode with Kevin Abrams. Uh, I'm glad all of you guys, or at least most of you guys, seem to have liked it, guys and girls, seem to have liked it. Uh, it was a little different, and I've, I've and everyone seemed to agree that it was very informative. So we'll get back to the interviews. The summer series is kind of over because we're in football mode now. But we'll get back to the inter- some interviews in, in the coming weeks. But this week, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go over some of my observations and what I've seen with my own eyes here in training camp, give a little nuggets to start off. Then we'll get into your questions. I'll answer your questions with a Giants After Dark. Pretty lengthy one, too. A 12-pack of your questions. And really, a lot of these questions are the ones that everyone's asking, right? And, and that... So they're kind of like joint questions, even though I, I picked a specific individual. It's something that most of you wanted to know about what's going on at training camp. And then some, you know, from out of left field. But all right, let's kind of recap where we're at with training camp. OK, it's been pretty eventful so far. It starts off with Kelvin Benjamin basically getting cut on the field. Uh, and then he actually walked off the field, which definitely got him cut. Dude came in overweight. Um, then Kenny Galladay gets injured during practice. We haven't seen much of Kadarius Tony. Kadarius Tony, he's coming back. He had COVID. So did Blake Martinez. And then there was the massive brawl, the fight. Uh, where basically everybody jumped in. Not like that it was massive in that there was a lot of punches thrown, because I don't even know if I saw any punches thrown, but just that the entire team ran over, offense, defense, quarterback included. The Giants' quarterback was not at the bottom of the pile, which I'll give you my opinion on this whole thing, but one of them is that that's just not a smart play by your quarterback. Nobody needs their quarterback, and I know it's great and tough and gritty and it shows stuff to the other guys, but... Nobody needs their quarterback going and getting in the middle of a scrum. Just stay away. I do remember a quarterback, though, at one point going and getting in a training camp fight. And I believe it was Cam Newton pummeling Josh Norman or something of the sort. And the two of them were really getting into it. Uh, so uh, they went 15-1 and one that year, I believe. So I guess it's not the end of the world if your quarterback gets into it in training camp. It, it does show toughness, but uh, Daniel Jones is not exactly Cam Newton. Cam Newton's gigantic. But all right, so let's go over some of the things. We'll, we'll start with my opinion on the fight in general, okay? It was really just your normal training camp scuffle or get-together. You know, Xavier McKinney, Pops, Corey Clement, and look, if this was the normal run of football, that was just your normal hit, right? But it was kind of the end of a play, and they're not they're not hitting and tackling to the ground, really. They're not really hitting and tackling to the ground anyway. So he hits Corey Clement kind of from the side, and I don't think Corey Clement really realized he was going to be hit like that, so he goes to the ground. So Evan Ingram, good teammate move, comes over, you know, Bumps, pushes McKinney, little nothing, you know, say a couple words, nothing happens from there. But then Logan Ryan comes in and he takes, he escalates the situation from like a level three 
to like a level eight. And he pops Evan Ingram from behind. That's where I have a problem with what happened there. Logan Ryan's actions there were uncalled for. And that then got everybody involved. And Daniel Jones ran over somehow, you know, when there's 89 other people in the area, you it's it's pretty easy to end up on the ground. You know, you're you're basically trying to run through a mob. Now, I don't think anybody, you know, popped Daniel Jones and pushed him to the ground, but I think he just ended up on the ground. And then uh, Kenny Wiggins and Danny, uh, I'm, I'm drawing his, bl- uh, uh, <laughs> um, Danny Sexton, uh, for some reason, came to my head. Uh, Danny Shelton, I was thinking Danny Felton for a second. Also, I don't know why. There's like a little cross between Danny Shelton and Raymond Felton. Uh, Raymond Felton, by the way, at the end of his Knicks career, kind of looked like Danny Shelton, if you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, getting totally derailed here. But that's that's kind of my opinion on the fight. So it, it wasn't as big a deal. But what stood out to me was, A, the quarterback got in the middle, and then B, the after effect. Okay? That was unusual because you don't see a coach undress his team for 15 minutes the way Joe Judge did. And then make him run sprints and do push-ups like Joe Judge did and curse them out for as long as he did like Joe Judge did. So those were the two unique parts of it. Now, do I make that much of it? No. It was an interesting, unique situation, but doesn't mean anything to me going forward. Like Logan Ryan said, you know, we're sick of losing. No, no. Logan Ryan didn't pop Evan Ingram from behind because they're sick of losing. It was this sort of heat of the battle, you know, get a little, little melee in, you know, breaks out at, at training camp. That's that's more what it was. was. There was no, like, big proclamation about how we're sick of losing, so I'm going to hit Evan Ingram, you know, after Evan Ingram, you know, defends his own player. Like, that, come on. Now, does it show that there's intensity in practice? Yes. I think that's a positive. Does it show that this group is together in regards to they didn't, it doesn't seem to at least, I mean, it's still... Not long after it doesn't seem to have fractured the group. It doesn't, if anything, it might bring them together. And that also the running laps and the push-ups and stuff. I get texts from people and most of them have been from, you know, former executives, players, at least in this regard, that are saying, you know, this is like, what are they doing? This is high school stuff. But as long as the Giants are bought into it, and from what I've seen, and everyone I talk to, they do appear bought into it. Like, they're fine with it. These are the consequences, and they're willing to pay the consequences for doing things wrong. I mean, the laps when you, like, mess up a snap is not a big deal. They're jogging, like, you know, half a lap, basically, cutting the corners. And it's just more like, I did something wrong. I have to do this. Not like, I'm, oh, I'm going to be exhausted from running this lap. That's not the way I see it. So, there may be some positives to take from this. The whole fight and melee and ensuing Joe Judge just out outrageous reaction, I think is one way to say it. Uh, he just blew up. But, you know, the, the two sides of Joe Judge were fully on display because the way it turned out, so Joe Judge yells and screams and curses at them and makes them run and do push-ups for 15 minutes. And then walks off and goes to the side, to the side. 
where he puts on a smile, hugs his daughter for, and it's her birthday, wishes her happy birthday, and goes spends time with his family. Goes spends time with his family, has a big smile on his face. That's really a good dichotomy of Joe Judge and how you know he's able to be hard and harsh and then put his arms around people and and. It really, it really is to me that that's the perfect explanation of Joe Judge right there. So as for Kenny Galladay, so he tweaks his hamstring kind of. Now here's the thing: I saw him stretching his leg earlier in that practice. This was a couple days ago, so this was earlier in the week. I believe it was Tuesday. So he's stretching his leg throughout the practice. So I think it was something that maybe he felt earlier and then he runs in a seven on seven drill i put a video out there if you want to go look for it. you can see him kind of grab he drops the ball after he catches it he kind of fumbles it away and then grabs to the back of his leg a little bit and then walks inside gingerly but he walked under in under his own power so i think that's that's good news for what i understand it's not it's not a major injury Giants escaped the worst, and it's nothing unless it's something gets re-injured that it's really going to affect his ability to be ready for the start of the season. Now, we'll see how long he's out, but the fact that there's seven weeks left and this isn't anything that's supposed to threaten the start of the season, I wouldn't get too worked up over that. As for Daniel Jones, the big question, how does Daniel Jones look? How does Daniel Jones look? Slow start to camp for the Giants offense. But the last two days, he's looked much better. Tuesday, clearly his best day of camp, as Sterling Shepard said about the offense that day. They were on fire. Wednesday, also much better. Uh, They looked pretty bad the first three or four days. There's really no way around it. The defense definitely got the better of them. And it's not like, oh, the Giants' defense is going to be so good. That's why they got the better. One of those days, it was against like the backup defense. Like Kenny Galladay was running behind uh, Sam Beal. And Daniel Jones just overthrew him. So there's been up and downs. It's early in camp. I'm not going to make too much of that. I don't think you should either. Um, we're seeing a lot of Devontae Booker. But also Eli Penny, the fullback, especially before Alfred Morris showed up. I saw a lot of him out of the backfield as well, getting the ball, which was interesting to me. Uh, Kadarius Tony, the rookie. We haven't really seen much of the rookie class at all. Right, because you got the first round pick, Kadarius Tony. He's got COVID. The Giants, are, he had COVID. Sorry, the Giants are ramping him up, and he has not com- completed or participated in a full practice yet, not even close. So he's been extremely limited so far in camp. Second round pick, Aziz Ojolari, is the one who has participated in camp. Hasn't popped yet. At least he's on the field, considering third-round pick Aaron Robinson. He had surgery, core muscle surgery, so he's not back yet. He hasn't practiced yet. I don't think he's that close to getting on the field for a full practice. And then we have Ellerson Smith, the edge rusher from Northern Iowa. He also has a, he has a leg injury, and he's not practicing, so he's not back yet either. He hasn't taking one one rep, one snap, done one individual drill. So the Giants rookies really are behind the eight ball. I mean, it's going to be tough for them to make an immediate contribution when they're not doing much in training camp. Now, you hope Tony's on the verge of participating and doing more and doing full practices. But the other two, the third and fourth round pick, I think it's going to be hard to expect any real contribution from those guys until the middle of the season, considering they're going to, I mean, they're already out. They're not close to back. 
doesn't seem. I mean, Ellerson Smith actually is getting somewhat close, but, you know, he's from northern Iowa, and he's a fourth-round pick. To expect him to jump in there and make an immediate contribution is probably unrealistic anyway. So given that and their situation, injury-wise, I wouldn't expect a ton from those guys early in the season. The edge rusher position, something of, of concern with this team even before they got to camp. Ellerson Smith, Lorenzo Carter, O'Shane Zimenez. These are all guys that are sidelined by injuries, all edge rushers. You were hoping that one of these guys were, were some of the guys that can go in there and, you know, exceed expectation this season, sort of pop and surprise, earn some playing time, uh, live up to some of the hype that they've received over the years, and guess what? They're not on the field. So the Giants' edge rusher position is pretty thin. Uh, Odenigabo is there. I mean, at times, they're pretty much – Starting Trent Harris, you know, you this our first team drills, and on certain days you'll see like Trent Harris and Oziz Ojolari in there as the starters. And then even yesterday, I saw Nico Lalos with the first team at edge rusher. Like that's where the Giants are with edge rusher right now. Nico Lalos is in cer- some certain package running with the first team defense. So edge rusher remains a concern with me with this team. Offensive line. Shane Lemieux kind of sustained a knee injury. He's getting close to being back, which is encouraging. But what I found interesting was that during that time that he was out, Kenny Wiggins, who literally all of us know very little to nothing about, stepped in as the starting left guard in that first team. Kenny Wiggins, not Zach Fulton, who started before who the Giants signed. Zach Fulton got to have his work cut out for him to make this team. This is a guy who's been a starter in the league. I believe it was with the Texans. Started plenty of games with the Texans. Uh, he's even taken some snaps. I've seen a bunch lately at center. I Not really in team drills, but I think it's just to, you know, the more you can do kind of thing. So you see that from Zach Fulton. But Kenny Wiggins found that kind of interesting. Thought maybe they would shift Chad Slade, a guy who's been around here, who, who's, you know, a, a veteran in this league, who's proven he's capable of playing in this league to some degree. I thought maybe they'd move him into to left guard when Lemieux was down. They did not. But Chad Slade also has been playing left tackle. The sec- He's like the second team left tackle, which is also I found, I found kind of interesting. So, again, the more you can do with these guys, the better, especially as backup linemen. They want you to be able to cross-train over several positions, and those guys are at this point. Uh, as far as the tackles, it's still early. But I do like what I've seen from Andrew Thomas and Matt Pert. So Pert, Matt Pert. I can't never get that right. Andrew Thomas and Matt Pert so far. Really, really early. But that is my initial thing. Matt Pert looks jacked, by the way. Looks like he's in really good shape. Andrew Thomas, uh, you know, in live drills has really held his own. But like I said before, part of the problem is, oh, my God, my voice just cracked right there. That was embarrassing. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going through puberty here. So. Anyway, back to Andrew Thomas before I went through my uh, pre-pubescent stage of broadcasting. Uh, Andrew Thomas is looking good, but he's also, I mean, he's going against Trent Harris and, you know, Zizo Jolari, who's a rookie, still like learning and probably his head spinning. So I'm not really sure what to make of it because 
He's not getting tested like going against Chase Young every day or even going against like when Eric Flowers was getting toasted by Olivier Vernon. Like the, the Giants tackles don't even get that on a daily basis. So optimistic so far, but also still a little reluctant to go overboard and get fully excited about what you're seeing from them. I wouldn't go that far. Some receivers who stuck out, David Sills. Strong early start to camp for David Sills. He's the kind of guy that just excels at training camp. I could see that. Like he did it last year, doing it again this year. Big, can get open. Uh, really is like, you know, in that fifth receiver type category. Like that's the kind of guy he is. Like that's the kind of role he's trying to win here. Uh, but uh, he's going to have his work cut out for him. Same with CJ Board. Also, some really nice catches, some a really good start to camp. Also shown an ability to get open and get open deep. Both of those guys get open downfield. So like what I've seen from them so far. Sterling Shepard, too. Dude's been great. And it just reminds me every year when I see him work and you see him work one-on-one. Dude can get open one-on-one. He's a player in this league. Like, he's been on some bad offenses and his injuries definitely have have limited him. But imagine if, like, Sterling Shepard spent his career on, like, the, let's say, uh, Let's say he was with the Rams with Sean McVay in that offense or the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes in that offense. Like Sterling Shepard would be a very, very notable player. And everybody would want Sterling Shepard in fantasy because he would produce every time he's on. He'd, be, he'd have like eight for 80 every time he's on the field. Line him up in the slot, line him out, up, out wide. He has that twitch. He could beat guys one-on-one off the line of scrimmage consistently. Now, the problem is consistently staying healthy. So it's a long summer. We'll see how that goes. But those are some of my early impressions of camp. Now, let's get to your questions. On to the next one. Feeling like you need a marketing degree and an extra day in your week to successfully market your small business? Let Constant Contact do the heavy lifting for you. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has powerful tools that make it easy to grow your audience, engage your customers, and sell more to boost your business. Now, in just a few clicks, you can launch a marketing campaign that's tailored to your business and goals. That includes email, social, SMS, and more. So you can sell more, raise more, and fast-track your business growth. Plus, you can always count on Constant Contact's award-winning customer support for guidance along the way. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. Ah, yes. It's that time of the podcast where I answer all your deepest, darkest Giants questions in Giants After Dark. Question number one comes from Twitter. Slim Drew 82 says the Giants signed two players this week that retired only days later. Any insight to why did they look that bad? Uh, Yeah, Andrew. Okay, so you're talking about Todd Davis, the veteran linebacker, and then Joe Looney, the veteran offensive lineman, really center. Now, my understanding is that and a lot of people ask me about Joe Looney. They thought it was indicative or, or reflective of Nick Gates and there would be a position change. No, Joe Looney was brought in, by the way, to be uh, interior depth, kind of like to potentially win the backup center job, give them, you know, some versatility at guard, et cetera. Uh, and he did look good. The Giants thought he looked very good. But Joe Looney made an individual personal decision to decide to retire, and Todd Davis, too, from what I heard. 
And this isn't like, oh, Joe Judge made him run laps. It was hard training camp. No, no. These decisions, and, and I always explain this to people, these decisions mostly come down to, you know, how your body feels. I mean, these are veterans. They come in, they, they understand they're low on the depth chart. They have to grind their way up. They've been through it before. Their families aren't with them. They're thinking, okay, the prospects of I have to go through this whole grind, right? I've already made a nice living. I've already made a decent amount of money, right? They're not doing this for the future of their family, you know, monetarily. Yeah, they'd like the extra paycheck, sure. But they have to grind their way up from the bottom again and do it when their families are not there. There's a lot that goes into it for guys. So I think that's more of it than, oh, they look bad or the easy joke of Joe Judge ran, made them run laps and they retire. I don't think that was the case here, at least definitely not with Joe Looney. And I don't think with Todd Davis because he wasn't even there for most of the running. He wasn't there when uh, the brawl ensued and they had to run sprints. But And I didn't see Todd Davis run any laps. I guess maybe he ran when the, the entire defense ran that one day. But... I don't think that's, you know, that's the easy joke. And, you know, Wes Steinberg out there, the the fake reporter that everybody uh, is thinking is real these days. Good old Wes, you know, he's throwing jokes out there that people are biting. And it's really, Jesus, come on, check yourself, reporters. Check yourself, people. Look at the guy's tweets (laughs) if you're actually going to think that that's real. I mean, there's a lot of dumb people out there. Holy cow. Uh, next question. I hate, let's just call him anytime 55. I don't even know what this is, this Twitter handle. Any Saquon update? Yeah, we're watching Saquon. He's working on a backfield with a trainer every day. So we're watching him. It's literally probably about approximately 150 yards away. So very far. I brought out like the telescope lens and caught him one day making a leaping catch and running routes. But, and I've talked to people inside the organization about this. He looks really good. He looks really good. So if you ask Saquon and you really wanted to put him out there, I bet you he could go out there. But the Giants, like I've said from the beginning, are taking this slowly and are taking everything with Saquon Barkley slowly. Now, if I had to put a percentage on it, Saquon Barkley chances of playing week one, 62% right now. Check check back in with me next week. We'll see where we're at. But 62%. So more likely to be ready for week one, in my opinion, than not, than not be ready week one. Next question. We go back to Twitter uh, at ACL underscore tears. What's your estimate on the vaccination rate among players at this moment? Fully vaccinated or going through the process? Okay. Interesting because the Giants have to wear these sort of the players who are unvaccinated or at least not fully vaccinated yet. Have to wear these spit guards, okay? So you could see it if you, there's a close-up on your helmet. They have this thing over their mouth that has some dots. And I guess it, it prevents saliva from, from coming out of their helmet. And when they, if they ever take off their helmet, they have to have their face covered. So Kadarius Tony was wearing a ski mask at practice yesterday. So yesterday was Wednesday. Instead, or, or you have to wear a mask. Like You can't just walk around helmetless. Like You see Saquon Barkley when he walks off the field with a a mask as well. And you see players, when they do press conferences, they wear the unvaccinated players wear masks. So there's a lot of players that are not fully vaccinated yet. But my understanding, so I would say like, let's say 
60% of the players are fully vaccinated. That leaves 40%. I'm making up these numbers, but it, this is what it looks like. There's like probably 30 guys I've seen that are wearing the spit guards and, and uh, masks. So, but out of those 30 or 40 guys, my understanding is most of them have started the, are in the process of getting vaccinated. So like they've already had their first shot. So like probably over 90% now are in the process of getting vaccinated, but only let's say, and these are my approximate ranges. So only about 60% are fully vaccinated at the moment. So by the time we get towards the season and the season rolling around, I think the Giants will be like 90, 95%. There's only a handful of guys, my understanding, that have really put their foot in the sand, dug their foot in the dirt and are like, I am not getting vaccinated. So that's where we're at on the vaccination. Look, vaccinate, being vaccinated makes life a lot easier for these guys. The unvaccinated guys have to sit outside and eat. You can't eat in the cafeteria. So they have to go and jump through hoops, and I don't, which is why I don't understand. Why wouldn't these guys go get the sh- first shot weeks, weeks before camp, month before camp, so they didn't have to do this once they got to camp, and now they're going through the process. It's kind of silly if you ask me. So a Din link from Instagram says, Hey, Jordan, I know it's early on in camp, but just curious. One area I thought our offense was lacking last year was pre-snap motion to get guys different matchups and open them up a little bit. Have you seen any increase in that area so far? As you said, it's early. I've seen some different stuff from the offense. I can't say that an excessive amount of motion is something that's popped out to me. And I know that pisses everybody off, but hey, that is what it is. I mean, the Jason Garrett offense, uh, maybe they're just not going to do a lot of motion. Maybe they're hiding it. Maybe it's something they don't want to show everybody in training camp. I can't tell you the answer to that right now. But you, uh, answer to your question, no, I haven't seen a ton of motion. Jesse Mancini checks in, by the way, from Hawaii on Instagram. Love it. Hawaii, great place. Went there on my honeymoon. Sick place. Got to stay at that Four Seasons in Maui. Mwah! Not something I'll ever be able to do again because it's a ton of money. But uh, you do it once in a lifetime for your honeymoon. Loved it. Also, Kauai, cool place. Did a lot of activities in Kauai. So Jesse Mancini asks, do you think this has a feeling of 2016 into 2017 where they upgrade skill positions on offense and ignore a clear deficiency at O-line? Is there a chance this season could be a disaster? Well, first of all, I don't think this is 2016-17 because 2016 is when they signed all the guys. So this year is like 2016 in that they signed all the big free agents and really increased their talent level. 2017 went completely wrong because everybody got injured. The second Odell Beckham got injured, that remember, that was their entire offense the year before. They had a good defense, and that blew up too for, re, uh, you know, for reasons that had more to do with uh, – personalities of guys and the coach that was running everything at the time and really just, you know, a a ridiculous collection of events followed. So I don't think so. As in regards to the offensive line, the thing I think with this offensive line is we say they didn't upgrade it. They didn't do a good job, but they have invested in it. Let's not pretend they have the number four overall pick at left tackle. They have a third round pick at right tackle. They have a late-round pick in Shane Lemieux that they liked last year. You know, Nick Gates is a a younger guy that they think is pretty good at center. So they have made some investments there. Now, they haven't gotten a big veteran guy and signed the big veteran, I think, that people wanted. But they have 
added pieces to this offensive line in the last few years. Now, granted, we don't now they all come with question marks now. That's the problem. But I don't think that should be able to derail this team unless their skill position players get injured and go down like that 2017 did. Oh my God. Again, my voice is cracked again. This is full blown puberty. Next question. Busy business Ben asks on Twitter, uh, Instagram. Hey, Jordan, love your Giants cover, especially the Breaking Big Blue pod. Shout out, Breaking Big Blue. Saw you asking for Giants after dark questions. So, which part of the team has impressed more during camp, offense or the defense? And then he asked me about the Joe Looney signing, meaning for, meaning for Nick Gates. So, I think I already addressed that Joe Looney signing with Nick Gates. And also, Joe Looney retired, so he's not around. It doesn't matter anyway. As far as who has impressed more during the camp, the defense has definitely gotten the better of the offense. The offense has been better the last two days as I sit here right now taping on Thursday. But the defense has certainly looked better. And I think the key here is that that secondary is going to be pretty damn good. Okay? You're seeing a lot of Xavier McKinney in there as well. So you have three quality safeties with Peppers and Logan Ryan. You have James Bradbury, who's really good cornerback. Adoree Jackson, who is at the very least a, a serviceable NFL quarterback. Uh, so when you have that cornerback side, it's a corner quarterback, I think. When you have that, you have something going. Those are basically, uh, I just named you five guys that can play in, in the secondary. Most teams do not have five guys that can really play in the secondary. So, uh, you know, that secondary is really good, and they've played really well at the start of camp. You can see it. They give Daniel Jones fits. They give some of these receivers fits. Kenny Galladay was having trouble getting open. Now, I don't know if Kenny Galladay, you know, just he's coming off an injury last year with his hip. Maybe he wasn't in the greatest shape coming into camp. I'm, I'm just throwing out possibilities. Maybe this is just how Kenny Galladay looks. He's not exactly a 4-3 guy, right? He's the kind of guy who makes tough contested catches and gets downfield. And can make those catches leaping catches. But his separation, at least in a training camp setting here to me so far this year, didn't look great. Now it was early. We could have seen how it went. Now he's out with that hamstring. Maybe the hamstring was bothering him too. Who knows? Or maybe Giants have some pretty good cornerbacks. And they did a pretty good job against him. I think that definitely played into it as well. So next question. At GoodNuz08. This is on Twitter. Back on Twitter. Jordan, what's the closest you can get to the players at this point in time in training camp? Also a year after COVID protocol started. So we can interview players. First of all, we're not allowed on the field. I know this makes no sense. We're not allowed on the field to watch practice, even though if we could stand on the sideline, like, you know, 50 yards away from the players, like they say protocols of the league rules. I don't know. I see other teams around the league doing it. But they say we're not allowed on the field to watch practice, but yet we can interview players face to face as long as we're six feet away. So they make you basically stand there six feet away uh, right in front of the guy. It's really awkward, but that's kind of the closest you can get to players at this time. Unvaccinated players, you can have have mask-to-mask conversations from six feet away. Uh, Did I say unvaccinated? Vaccinated players, you could have those conversations six feet away, no mask. Uh, Unvaccinated players... They have to wear masks. Uh, all the media has to be vaccinated in order to get in and work. So that's that situation. Uh, next question. Alex Nakano from Twitter says, I know it's early, but who do you see starting at both 
outside linebacker spots on September 12th, if you had to bet. If any players popped so far, any edge players popped so far. I think I kind of mentioned this earlier. No, none of those edge players have popped so far. But part of that is that they're not even on the field at this point. So you ask, if I had a guess, week one, starting edge players, I would say Lorenzo Carter, assuming he's back, I'm guessing he's going to be back because he was out of practice at the start for a little bit of training camp. And then he suffered some kind of little injury. Nothing major because I see him running around on the sideline, but he hasn't really practiced. So Lorenzo Carter, who, by the way, is coming off Achilles injury last year that cost him all last year, and Aziz Ojolari. That would be my best guess at this point. Or maybe it's, okay, uh, man, it's hard to even come up with guys. I mean, I'm trying to think of some kind of scenario where it could be like, okay, Lorenzo Carter and then a bigger guy to like a, a run stuffing guy on, on uh, first downs. But like Ryan Anderson, I even mentioned him, but he hasn't stepped on the field. I don't know if he ever is going to step on the field, to be honest with you. So, I mean, I'm even lacking the guy. Okay, let's throw the the uh, big run stuffer out opposite, like Lorenzo Carter or something. Uh, I, but I, I can, I'm having trouble even coming up with that with that guy. So, uh, <laughs> who knows? Uh, now, I did make a prediction. They asked me for a bold, bold prediction. Yeah, come up with a bold prediction. You have to think of something outside, you know, the realm of the norm and. You throw some stuff off the wall, basically. So my bold prediction, though, is that the Giants are going to sign the top edge rusher on the market. Now, there's not great edge rushers left, but they they might need a veteran body at that position. You know, uh, a Trent Murphy of the sorts might be something like that. I would not be surprised to see something like that happen later on in camp. Uh, At Giants fan in D.C., Joe Smith says, who would win between all the beat writers in a fight? Wow, that's a tough question. I don't think there's any killers in that group. I mean, do do any of us even lift weights? I mean, who we got? Art Stapleton, you know, I I don't think Art's a killer fighter. Uh, I don't think I don't think he's he's a he's a huge threat. Uh, You know, Paul Schwartz, Tom Rock, you know, he's he's a bigger guy. I don't know, he's taller and bigger, but I, I don't see Tom Rock being a killer. Pat Leonard. Dan Duggan, uh, Zach Rosenblatt, definitely, definitely not. Zach, Zach's a small dude. I don't, I don't see Zach. I can see Zach maybe being a younger wrestler. Uh, maybe Chris Bizignato from Giants Insider can do some damage. Not scared of Pat Leonard or, or Dan Duggan. Dan Duggan's like a, a finesse, you know, outside shooter. Uh, definitely not me. I'm not. I'm not a big guy. I'm not somebody who can bash heads in. So. The group in general, Matt Lombardo, I don't see him being this big, strong, much of a fighter. I don't know if, if Matt Lombardo ever lifted a weight. So uh, this is definitely not a Motley crew. I don't know. Have I missed anybody? Ed from Breaking Big, from Big Blue View. I mean, I don't see Ed bashing heads either. So I don't know if I came up with an answer for you. I mean, maybe, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I like Tom Rock if I if I had to pick someone. Tom looks like someone that, that, you know, somewhere along the way was a big, strong guy and he could bash our heads in. It's a pretty, pretty meek group, though. Myself included at the top of the list. I'm not taking anybody. So uh, that's where we stand on that. And we got one more question. 
Who are three giants? And DJ Anero 13 says, who are three giants on this current roster who will visit training camp in 10 years from now to positively influence the future roster? Like uh, Kiwi, OC, and Tuck did this week. Well, Kiwi, OC, and Tuck, by the way, have Super Bowl rings. I don't know if any of these guys are going to walk away from this game with two giant Super Bowls, okay? Uh, if I had a bet on that, I'd probably bet against it right now. But let's say this team does win a Super Bowl sometime within the next five years. So you have Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones, these two guys that walk in. Now, I'll, I'll eliminate Daniel Jones because he's the kind of guy that he's the quarterback. So he's like an easy, obvious answer. But Saquon Barkley, no matter what happens, even if he doesn't win a Super Bowl, I could see him walking back and just having clout. Right. Um, as far as the other, like, you have to understand guys like Tuck, guys like OC, these were big voices and names in the locker room. So, like, Blake Martinez is someone I could see be like that because he's the middle linebacker. He's like the, the leader of that group. Uh, Logan Ryan, he's an outspoken leader of that group. So, maybe, maybe those guys, maybe those are my three. You got Saquon. Blake Martinez, Logan Ryan coming back. If they, let's say they win a Super Bowl in 2025 and all three of those guys are still on the team, they come back in like 2032 to like address the team about, you know, this is what it takes to win a Super Bowl. This is the kind of mentality, all in approach you guys need to bring to the table. You need to be a family. Once a giant. Always a giant, which I think is one of the most ludicrous statements alive, by the way, because there's so many guys. You think Kelvin Benjamin believes in once a giant, always a giant? You think Todd Davis and Joe Looney believe in once a giant, always a giant? Or how about uh, O'Brien Schofield, who the Giants signed but then found something in his medical years ago and pulled the contract from him? You think he feels like once a giant? Always a giant that like holds true, but like for like a select few of like premium players who've won Super Bowls for the team and are held in esteemly high regard. So now I get the concept behind it. It does extend behind beyond those guys. The Giants do treat their players very well. And and you, you hear players talk about that all the time as a whole. But the idea of once a giant, always a giant giant for everybody. Ludicrous. On to the next one. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. 
Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, let's wrap up because that kind of went long there. I'll give you a little quick Jordan on the beat where I tell you what it's like to be the beat writer for the Giants, covering the Giants, working for ESPN, covering the NFL in general. I'm going to give you a little insight into what training camp has been like in years past and sort of how I go about operating during training. So this was probably 2017-ish, right around there, maybe 2018, even the Giants, you know. Again, they're back. They're they're feeding us the, the Eric Flowers propaganda. You know, he came back in great shape. He looks great. And I'm sitting there watching at practice, and Olivier Vernon's just smashing his face, right, and just killing him. And the, the, the narrative publicly, everybody's saying, Eric Flowers, you know, he, he, he came back in shape this year. He he worked out in the building in the offseason. And I'm looking at it. I'm looking with my eyes on the field. And I'm seeing just get absolutely murdered in drills. I mean, Olivier Vernon, when he wanted to, was pushing him like seven yards in the backfield. Went around him with like complete whiffs by Flowers. So what I'm doing at the time, because fans are in training camp this season, this, this year, that year. And you... Because fans are there, you could tape any any period because if the fans could see it, the fans could tape it, so there's no way that they could stop you from taping it. Now, that's the problem right now. The Giants went with this bogus, phony, you know, we can't have fans in our building this, in our, you know, uh, facility this summer. So because of that, they're now able to say you can't tape live periods, you, which is what happened when the brawl and the fight happened, is we couldn't tape it because it was a live period. 11 on 11. 11. You could tape 7 on 7s. You can't tape 11 on 11 live periods. And that's what that was. So anyway, I'm taping this this that year, I think 2018, Eric Flowers, and just compiling all kinds of tape. And I'm sending it to my buddy. You know, you, you know, you guys know him. He's uh, Duke Manyweather. So he's the, you know, offensive line expert. Now, I, you know, I don't know a ton about offensive line, like the intricacies, okay? I'm I'm gonna be honest. Like I that, you know, I'm not I'm not one of these guys who sits here and tells you I know everything about football. Okay. The the technique part of offensive line play, but this this stuff is is deep football stuff. You know, this, you leave that to the football guys. Okay. The real, real deal football guys. And Duke's one of those football guys. He knows offensive line play better than almost anyone I know out there. Like he knows offensive line play at the level of an NFL coach. And he could coach. For a team, NFL offensive line. Because he said he trains players in the offseason. But he talks to coaches all the time, offensive line coaches, and has those, you know, conversations about, you know, what they're looking for and this and that. So he's knowledgeable on the subject. So I would send him to him and be like, How does he look to you? And not just the ones where Eric Flowers got his teeth kicked in him, but also his his some of his better reps. And he was just like, Man, that it's awful. It's not gonna go well. And so I, I put it all together. I waited like I wanted to make sure this was like, all right, what I was seeing, what we were seeing was going to be accurate. OK, this wasn't just so oh, he had a bad day. No, this was, I collected it over like two or three weeks. And then I wrote the story after two or three weeks of evidence saying, look, this is not going to go well. This is the same Eric Flowers. He still stinks, basically, as a left tackle, which turned out to be the case. He was terrible at left tackle. Might have even been right tackle at that point. Was that when they maybe moved him to right tackle? Anyway, point is, this is kind of how I like to operate in training camp. I see stuff, and then I pass it through people I know 
coaches, personnel people, whether they're uh, whether it's on the record, off the record. But I pass along the people who I know and trust that know football way more than I do and get their opinion to va- to validate and say, OK, yeah, what you're looking at is right. What you, you are. That is what you're seeing. So that's kind of how I like to operate during training camp, just to give you a little peek into my approach. As always, like, subscribe to this podcast, tell your friends, we need to get bigger, we need to grow. The feedback I've been getting is great, and I really appreciate all you out there that are listening, and I hope I'm giving you nuggets that you can't get elsewhere. That's the whole point of this podcast. I'm looking to give you nuggets, so that's what I'm going to be looking to do again next week. So come back next week, tell your friends, hey, you want training camp nuggets? You're not going to get anywhere else? Breaking Big Blue. That's where you go. And as always, send questions. You know where to find me. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I mean, Twitter's really hard to get me these days because that place is a freaking mess. I mean, just a cesspool. It's unbelievable. Uh, TikTok. Follow me on TikTok at Jordan Ron on ESPN. Also on Instagram at Jordan Ron on ESPN. Uh, I got some good TikTok ideas. Uh, so hopefully they come to fruition. Sometimes though you have these ideas and they sound just amazing in your head and then you do it and you're like, holy cow, that sucks. And you have to scrap it. But, uh, I like to try new things. So, uh, hopefully if you follow me there, you'll, you'll be entertained and, and see some unique entertaining content. So do that. Uh, that's it for this episode of breaking big blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ronan. See you next time. 